Section 53 of Curiosities of Literature, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Curiosities of Literature, Volume 3, by Isaac Disraeli. The Pearl Bibles and Six Thousand Errata. As a literary curiosity, I notice a subject which might rather enter into the history of religion. It relates to the extraordinary state of our English Bibles, which were, for some time, suffered to be so corrupted that no books ever yet swarmed with such innumerable errata. These errata, unquestionably, were in a great part voluntary commissions, passages interpolated, and meanings forged for certain purposes sometimes to sanction the new creed of a half-hatched sect, and sometimes with an intention to destroy all scriptural authority by a confusion or an omission of texts. The whole was left open to the option or the malignity of the editors, who, probably, like certain ingenious wine merchants, contrived to accommodate, quote, the waters of life, end quote, to their customers' peculiar taste. They had also a project of printing Bibles as cheaply, and in a form as contracted as they possibly could for the common people. And they proceeded till it nearly ended with having no Bible at all. And as Fuller, in his, quote, mixed contemplations and better times, end quote, alluding to his, this circumstance, with not one of his lucky quibbles, observes, quote, The small price of the Bible has called the small prizing of the Bible. This extraordinary attempt on the English Bible began even before Charles I's throne-ment, and probably arose from an unusual demand for Bibles, as the sectarian fanaticism was increasing. Printing of English Bibles was an article of open trade. Everyone printed at the lowest price, and as fast as their presses would allow. Even those who were dignified as His Majesty's printers were among these manufacturers, for we have an account of a scandalous omission by them of the important negative in the Seventh Commandment. The printers were summoned before the Court of High Commission, and this not served to bind them in a fine of three thousand pounds. A prior circumstance indeed had occurred, which induced the government to be more vigilant on the biblical press. The learned usher, one day hastening to preach at Paul's Cross, entered the shop of one of the stationers, as booksellers were then called, and inquiring for a Bible of the London edition, when he came to look for his text, to his astonishment and horror, he discovered that the verse was omitted in the Bible. This gave the first occasion of complaint to the king of insufferable negligence and incapacity of the London press. And, says the manuscript writer of this anecdote, first bred that great contest which followed between the University of Cambridge and the London stationers about the right of printing Bibles. The secret bibliographical history of these times would show the extraordinary state of the press in this new trade of Bibles. The writer of a curious pamphlet exposes the combination of those called the King's Printers, with their contrivances to keep up the prices of Bibles, their correspondence with the booksellers of Scotland and Dublin, by which means they retained the privilege in their own hands. The king's London printers got Bibles printed cheaper at Edinburgh. In 1629, 
when folio Bibles were wanted, the Cambridge printers sold them at ten shillings in choirs. On this, the Londoners set six printing houses at work, and to annihilate the Cambridgians, printed a similar folio Bible, but sold it with 500 quarto Roman Bibles and 500 quarto English at five shillings a book, which proved the ruin of the folio Bibles by keeping them down under the cost price. Another competition arose among those who printed English Bibles in Holland, in Duodecimo, with an English colophon for half the price of even the lowest in London. 12,000 of these Duodecimo Bibles, with notes fabricated in Holland, usually by our fugitive sectarians, were seized by the king's printers as contrary to the statute. Footnote 271. Quote, Scintilla, or a light broken into dark warehouses, of some printers, sleeping stationers, and combining booksellers, in which is only a touch of their forestalling and engrossing of books and patents and raising them to excessive prizes. Left to the consideration of the high and honorable House of Parliament now assembled, London, nowhere to be sold, but somewhere to be given. End quote. 1641. And footnote. Such was this shameful war of Bibles, folios, quartos, and duodecimos, even in the days of Charles I. The public spirit of the rising sects was the real occasion of these increased demands for Bibles. During the civil wars, they carried on the same open trade and competition, besides the private ventures of the smuggled Bibles. A large impression of these Dutch-English Bibles were burnt by the order of the Assembly of Divines for these three errors. Genesis 36, 24 This is that ass that found rulers in the wilderness. For Mule Ruth four thirteen. The Lord gave her corruption for conception. Luke twenty one twenty eight. Look up and lift your hands, for your condemnation draweth nigh, for redemption. These errata were none of the printers, but, as a writer of the Times expresses it, quote, a gregarious blasphemies and damnable errata, end quote, of some sectarian or some Balami editor of that day. The printing of Bibles at length was a privilege conceded to one William Bentley, but he was opposed by Hills and Field, and a paper war arose in which they mutually recriminated on each other with equal truth. Field printed, in 1653, what was called the Pearl Bible, alluding, I suppose, to that diminutive type in printing, for it could not derive its name from its worth. It is in twenty-fours. But to contract the mighty book into this dwarfishness, all the original Hebrew text prefixed to the palms, explaining the occasion and the subject of the composition, is wholly expunged. Footnote. A technical printing term for a sheet containing 24 pages. End footnote. This Pearl Bible, which may be inspected among the great collection of our English Bibles at the British Museum, is set off by many notable errata, of which these are noted. Romans 6.13 
neither yield ye all your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin for unrighteousness first corinthians 6 9 know ye not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of god for shall not inherit this erratum served as the foundation of a dangerous doctrine <laughs> for many libertines urged the text from this corrupt bible against the reproofs of a divine this field was a great forger and it is said that he received a present of fifteen thousand pound from the independents to corrupt the text in acts six three to sanction the right of the people to appoint their own pastors footnote the passage is as follows and is addressed by the apostles to quote the multitude of the disciples end quote who desired an improved clerical rule. Quote, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. End quote. End footnote. The corruption was the easiest possible. It was only to put a ye instead of a we, so that the right in Fields' Bible emanated from the people, not from the apostles. The only account I recollect of this extraordinary state of our Bibles is a happy allusion in a line of Butler. Religion spawned a various rout of petulant, capricious sects, the maggots of corrupted texts. In other Bibles, by Hills and Field, we may find such abundant errata, reducing the text to nonsense or to blasphemy, making the scriptures contemptible to the multitude who came to pray and not to scoff. It is affirmed, in the manuscript account already referred to, that one Bible swarmed with 6,000 faults. Indeed, from another source we discover that, quote, Stern, a solid scholar, was the first who summed up the 3,600 faults that were in our printed Bibles of London, end quote. If one book can be made to contain near 4,000 errors, Little ingenuity was required to reach 6,000. But perhaps this is the first time so remarkable an incident in the history of literature has ever been chronicled. And that famous edition of the Vulgate by Pope Sixtus V, a memorable book of blunders, which commands such high prices, ought now to fall in value before the Pearl Bible in 24s of Messieurs Hills and Field. Mr. Field and his worthy coadjutor seem to have carried the favor of the reigning powers over their opponents, for I find a piece of their secret history. They engaged to pay five hundred pound per annum to some, quote, whose names I forbear to mention, unquote, warily observes the manuscript writer, and above one hundred pound per annum to Mr. Marchant Needham and his wife, out of the profits of the sales of their Bibles deriding, insulting, and triumphing over others, out of their confidence in their great friends and purse, as if they were lawless and free, both from offense and punishment. This march on Needham is sufficiently notorious, and his secret history is probably true. For in a mercurious politicus of this unprincipled cobbit of his day, I find an elaborate puff of an edition published by the immunity granter to this worthy and his wife, not only had the Bible to suffer these indignities of size and price, but the prayer book was once printed in an illegible and worn-out type, 
on which the printer being complained of, he stoutly replied that, quote, it was as good as the price afforded, and being a book which all persons ought to have by heart, it was no matter whether it was read or not, so that it was worn out in their hands, end quote. The Puritans seem not to have been so nice about the source of purity itself. These hand Bibles of the sectaris, with their six thousand errata, like the false stoessa, covered their crafty deformity with a fair raiment. For when the great Selden, and the assembly of divines, delighted to confute them in their own learning, he would say, as Whitelock reports, when they had cited a text to prove their assertion, Quote, perhaps in your little pocket Bible with gilt leaves, end quote, which they would often pull out and read. Quote, the translation may be so, but the Greek or the Hebrew signifies this. End quote. While these transactions were occurring, it appears that the authentic translation of the Bible, such as we now have it, by the learned translators in James the first time, was suffered to lie neglected. The copies of the original manuscript were in the possession of two of the king's printers who, from cowardice, consent, and connivance, suppressed the publication. Considering that the Bible, full of errata, and often probably accommodated to the notion of sectorists, was more valuable than one authenticated by the hierarchy. Such was the state of the English Bible till 1660. The proverbial expression of chapter and verse seems peculiar to ourselves, and, I suspect, originated in the Puritanic period, probably just before the Civil Wars under Charles I, from the frequent use of appealing to the Bible on the most frivolous occasions, practiced by those whom self calls, quote, those mighty men at chapter and verse, end quote. With a sort of religious coquetry, they were vain of perpetually opening their gilt-pocket Bibles, they perked them up with such self-sufficiency and perfect ignorance of the original that the learned Selden found considerable amusement in going to their, quote, assembly of divines, end quote, and puzzling or confuting them, as we have noted. A ludicrous anecdote on one of these occasions is given by a contemporary, which shows how admirably that learned man amused himself with this assembly of divines. They were discussing the distance between Jerusalem and Jericho, with a perfect ignorance of sacred or of ancient geography. One said it was twenty miles, another ten, and at last it was concluded to be only seven, for this strange reason. That fish was brought from Jericho to Jerusalem market. Selden observed that, quote, possibly the fish in question was salted, end quote, and silenced these acute disputants. It would probably have greatly discomposed these chapter and verse men, to have informed them that the scriptures had neither chapter nor verse. It is by no means clear how the holy writings were anciently divided, and still less how quoted or referred to, and whether it was done as Yorick would in his Shandian manner, lounging on his mule, or at his intermediate baits, he has received all possible thanks for this employment of his time. Two years afterwards he concluded with the Bible, but that the honour of every invention may be disputed, Sanctus Pragnisus's Bible, printed at Lyons in 1527, seems to have led the way to these convenient divisions. <laughs> Stevens, however, improved on Pragnisus's mode of paragraphical marks and marginal verses. And our present chapter and verse, more numerous and more commodiously numbered, 
were the project of this learned printer to recommend his edition of the Bible. Trade and learning were once combined. Whether in this arrangement any disturbance of the continuity of the text has followed is a subject not fitted for my inquiry. End of section 53